Amen. Thank you, Pastor Rip. You know, it is uh, just really good to be in the house of the Lord, isn't it? I mean, worship was just really, really good today. Jackie and Scott, thank you so much for just leading us in worship. And, you know, I'm so thankful for a church that allows the freedom of the Holy Spirit to move and do what he desires to do in our hearts and in our lives. Amen. You know, I just want you to know that worship is for you to give your praise to the Lord uniquely the way you do it. If you want to lift your hands and praise, if you want to go and kneel at the altar and pray, if you want to go to the back of the room by yourself, you can do that. If you want to sit in your seat and just close your eyes. Because, you know, what's so unique about this is that you don't get this anywhere else. Tell me, what other place, what other time of your week do you get this? Now, you can have it your own personal prayer time, and I pray you do. But there is something special about coming together as a body of Christ and worshiping, isn't there? I mean, we're created to worship. Do you know that? There's something in us that just has to worship. And either we're going to worship our own idols or we're going to worship God. You're going to worship something. Just so you know that. You're created to worship. So you're going to worship the sun gods, the moon gods, or the pillow gods (laughs) or the golf gods or something, but you're going to worship something. So take the choice to worship the only thing that will give back. And that's Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, because nothing else gives back like this. Wow, we could go home, but we're not going to. Again, Pastor Rip, thank you so much for uh, for leading uh, such a well good job last week and learning about the sovereignty of, the, of Christ, who He is, and what a timely message coming into the Easter season that we really recognize who Christ is. He's not just a prophet; he's just not a good teacher. Because if that's all he was, then he's a liar. <laughs> because he made a lot of other claims besides that, right? And uh, it, he fulfilled every one of them. So, thank you. Last week, this is what we were. This is a picture of our family. Huh, makes me weepy. I love them. They're good kids. And uh, we were there to celebrate with uh, Elijah being held by his father, David. You can see him there. He was a little distracted by the sunlight. (laughs) But, you know, we were there to baby dedicate and you know baby dedication is not really for elijah it's for the parents it's for me and my wife and grandparents and it's for the body of christ to commit ourselves to raising that little boy in a godly way and i think the pastor last week said a a wise thing he said a baby dedication does not mean salvation to that little boy and to the other seven or eight kids that were dedicated that week no it's not their salvation at all But what it's doing, it's committing us as their parents, grandparents, church family to raise them so that they will accept salvation in their life at some point in time. That we're worthy, that we're truth to them and that we don't provide a stumbling block in their lives in whatever way. So um, I appreciate us being there last week to support Aubrey and David and and then uh, the twins. You can see them there as well. And uh, all right. So today we're going to talk about something that is um, consistent with what we've been talking about the last few weeks. And uh, the title of today's message is Discipline Proves Love. Discipline Proves Love. In the last couple of weeks we've been talking through Hebrews chapter 12 in the first four verses. And in that passage we were talking about how we run our, our spiritual race, our Christian race. And we learned a lot from that few uh, weeks of messages. And if you miss them, I would strongly encourage you to go back and listen, not because any other reason that there was good content and there was a good truth and that and it will help you uh, in your spiritual race. But today we're going to go a step deeper in our Christian journey as we follow the context because this is exactly what um, followed what we talked about in Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and 4, 1 through 4. We're starting now in chapter 12, verses 5 through 11. And so the writer goes right from that running the race into 
uh, a, a form of discipline. And we're going to prove the fact today that God loves us through his discipline. So let me start by asking a question. Do you ever wonder if God really loves you? Do you ever wonder if God ever cares about you? Do you ever wonder if God even knows your name? Come on, think about it. Be honest. Of all the billions of people around this world, to think that God knows me amazes me. In fact, it blows my mind. Not only does he know me, he cares about me. I can't even comprehend that. How a God that has so many other things to think about, so many other things to worry about if God worries, which I doubt he does, but yet he takes the time to get to know me and he gets to know you. That should blow you away. It should just knock your socks off to think that a God that is so big and so absolutely awesome can be so personal, can be so intimate, can be so concerned and aware of your every need. I hope that's what you get out of church. I hope that when you come into a building like this and we celebrate worship like this and we do these things, that this is not just a punch-the-clock type of a time for you that you really come in and you can feel the presence of the Holy Spirit here, that you can really feel the presence of God, your Heavenly Father that's reaching down into your life and saying, I love you and I care about you. What we're going to find out today is that one way that we can know that God loves us is because he takes the time and the effort to discipline us. You know, maybe that's maybe those words don't go together very well because we often think discipline is a negative thing. And we think, oh, here comes another hard message. Here comes another angry preacher going to talk about discipline. But you know what I'm talking about today is the love of God. If we didn't talk about discipline, can I tell you that we're not talking about love? So let's talk about that. Discipline proves love. And we're going to prove that it takes hard work to discipline and to be disciplined. It would be much easier in the short run to ignore bad behavior. You know what I'm talking about? Just to let it go. Don't get involved. I know as a parent, it would have been a lot easier just to ignore my kids when they were misbehaving. Rather than to come home after a hard day's work and then have to deal with it with kids that were not honoring their mother through the day. We're going to also prove that discipline causes stress and tension. It's not easy to discipline, and it's not easy to be disciplined. It's a stressful thing. It's a painful thing. It's not a fun thing. But we also are going to find that it creates an opportunity of choice. Choice. You see, is the person being disciplined going to respond by choosing to accept the discipline or to reject the discipline? Big difference in the result is how the person receives the discipline as well as how the person is administering the discipline. But there's a choice that's going to be forced in the act of discipline because there's going to come a crossroads. You're going to come to a point of what are you going to do now with the discipline? And can I say that when it's done correctly and when it's received properly, it results in peace and relationships that are beyond your best imagination? I did a little research on how today's experts view child-rearing and parental discipline compared to what it was just a few years ago, maybe even when I was growing up. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time getting into all what I saw and what I read, but what I understood there was that disciplining children today by the experts is more about a parent becoming the child's best friend 
rather than being a respected authority in their lives. We're being warned that spanking a child and other forms of corporal punishment damages the child and should be avoided at all costs. Don't lay a hand on your child, is what we're being told. In fact, it can be abused in a way that child services can get involved and it can become a form of child abuse, is what they're saying. They're saying that discipline should be much less severe so as not to hurt the child or hurt their self-image. It's like we need to be more concerned that our child will like us rather than respect us. <laughs> you know, we were watching the Sweet 16 yesterday, and Charles Barkley even made mention of that. Did anybody hear his comment? He's, he's, I, I wish I could have remembered exactly what he said, but he, he said something about that the discipline in children today that parents, he actually said parents want to be their friends more than being their parents. Charles Barkley said that. I thought, wow, that's pretty, pretty amazing. Understand, I am not supporting child abuse when I say these things. I, I am not supporting abusive forms of punishment in any form. That's not what I'm talking about. Discipline out of anger and frustration can be dangerous, and it's wrong. So we don't discipline because we're angry. We don't discipline out of our frustration. We don't lash out at our kids, either with a, a verbal command or a verbal word or a back of the hand in anger. I'm not saying that's right. That's not. That's not loving discipline. But what's happening here is that this form of moderate relational Discipline has been adopted and moving into the postmodern church, which we are part of today. That the postmodern church is fashioning the Christian life more as a way of love and to accept all kinds of behavior and lifestyles as acceptable to God, regardless if it lines up to God's word or not. No, we don't discipline people because we might hurt them, we might offend them. They may not come back to church next week. They may not give in the offering. There's a lot of reasons why pastors today in churches try to avoid the word discipline because it's a negative connotation. In the same way a parent desires friendship with their child, it seems like the church is seemingly more concerned with being a friend to the world than an ancient than an agent of God's love and discipline to his body. Think about it for a minute. So let me say this. Discipline is not pleasant. No matter if we're talking about earthly fathers disciplining their children or about God disciplining his spiritual children. I understand that. It's not a pleasant topic. But if we're going to be loved by God, and if we're going to grow up to be mature and complete in Christ, then God has no choice but to discipline. And we really, the choice that we have is, are we going to accept God's discipline or, or are we going to reject it? So let me ask another question. Are you okay with this? Are you okay that we talk about this? Or would you rather have that we don't? Let's read our text. Hebrews 12, beginning of verse 5. It says this. Stand with me, if you will, and let's read the Word of God. This is out of the New Living Translation. Hebrews 12, chapter, five, chapter 12, verses 5 to 11, it says, And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline, and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who was never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. Since we respected 
respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the Father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, we ask you to teach us what it means to be disciplined by the Father. Lord, we pray that it would show us your love maybe in a way that we haven't understood it before. So I pray, Father, that you would just open our hearts and our ears and let us hear and let us know what you would have for us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We could spend a lot of time in this passage because there is just an awful lot of meat here. In fact, we probably will come back to this in the next few weeks. But I want us to understand at the very beginning here, as we begin this conversation, that none of this is intended to make anyone feel bad about themselves. That's not the point. This isn't to be a message of condemnation. So I want you to understand that right now. No one is condemning you for where you are. No one is doing that. Christ isn't condemning you either. But but we need to talk about this form of discipline as love so that we can understand what God is up to. That we can be aware, that we can be ready for the discipline that's coming. And we don't think it's abusive and we don't get thrown off course by it. See, we can't take this teaching lightly and dismiss it as optional teaching. Because if that's the case, then it may be, re- it may be relevant to you but it may not be relevant to me. I mean, it's part of truth. Truth is truth. It's not my truth or your truth. Truth is the truth of God's word that that applies to all people. All people, no matter where they live, no matter their socioeconomic status, it doesn't make any difference. God's truth applies to you and me alike. None of us are exempt. So if we are included in the family of God, then Our Heavenly Father takes seriously his role of being a disciplinarian in order so that he can produce godliness in us, in order that he can produce character in us that are of his son, that are worthy of being called a son of God. Don't let this slip by. Don't let this be an insignificant thought. Let me ask, what is the role of a human father and a human mother regarding how they raise their children? What is their role? What is their goal to be? What was your goal as a parent, as a grandparent? Can I suggest one? A lofty one. But can I suggest that the goal of raising children is not to raise godly children, but rather to produce godly adults. That they will then in turn procreate and they will then repeat the process that they will raise their children not to be godly children, but to be godly adults so that we can then move on in life and not remain a child. It would be sad if we remain children. As much as I love my children and as much as I love my grandchildren, and I love to play with my little two-year-old uh, twin granddaughters and my son, grandsons, but, you know, it would be sad if, that's, they, if they didn't grow out of that stage, wouldn't it? No, growth is good. It just happens fast. <laughs> Too fast for us grandfolks, right? But we're not just trying to raise children to remain children. We're striving to train our children so that they can become God-fearing and God-loving adults and that they can repeat the process. Does that make sense? Yeah, I hope so. So with this in mind, let's, let's talk about the discipline that God ordains in this passage of Scripture. He says that, have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? 
Have you forgotten? Did you know? (laughs) Let me ask you a question. Did you even know that God's going to discipline? Not only did you know, but are you encouraged by it? (laughs) Are you looking forward to godly discipline? (laughs) No, I don't think many of us are. I don't think discipline is one of our favorite topics. He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you for the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes, punishes, the word punishes each one he accepts as his child. Boy, that doesn't appear very loving, does it? But let me ask a question. When did we become his child? Did you, were you born out of your mother's womb, a child of God? Were you born a child of God? Now, this is a very important point because the world doesn't get it. Because the world says we're all children of God. Let me explain what I mean. God loves the world, and he loves every man and woman that he created. But his love does not make them a child. His love just says he loves his creation. And he does love his creation. Don't ever let the enemy say that he doesn't love. God is a very loving God. But you're not a child of God just because he loves you. You're not a child of God just because he loves you. The world needs to understand that. When did we become his child? The moment you accepted him as your savior, you were adopted into the family of God. And then you were translated from an enemy of God into a child of God instantaneously upon the day that you said, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I receive you as my Savior. I I acknowledge the fact that you died on the cross for me and you took my sin and you bore my sin and you paid the price that I don't have to pay that anymore, that I'm free. My chains are broken. My chains are gone. And now I'm a child of God. Amen. Wow. That wasn't in my notes to get emotional. Sorry. I'm an engineer. (laughs) I preached a little bit, Rip. (laughs) I got the preaching there. (laughs) Philippians chapter (laughs) 3. Verses 18 through 19, it says, For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many who in, who, whose conduct shows that they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. Those are the words of Paul speaking to the world that didn't know who Jesus was. They might have thought they were. They might have been Pharisees. They might have been religious leaders. They might have been churchgoers today. But they truly weren't a child of God because they hadn't got to that conversion experience. They didn't get to that crossroads of their life where they needed to make a decision. But once you make that decision, Paul writes this again to the the Romans he wants, to, he wants to assure you that once you make that choice to accept Jesus as your Savior, then he says some amazing words. Romans eight fourteen through 17. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. You see the difference? For all that are led by the, children of, or by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit who draws us into Jesus, and then Jesus takes us to the Father, and then the Father forgives us because we've accepted Jesus as our propitiation of our sins, and now we are children of God because we're led by the Spirit. Verse 15, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children, and now we call him Abba. Father. Abba is the most intimate form of father. Verse 15, 16. For for his spirit, for the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. 
But if we are to share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. Again, maybe some confusing words. But it's important for us to realize that as a child of God, God now has the right and the responsibility to discipline us. You see, I go back to what I said at the beginning. It's amazing that God even knows my name, let alone he's going to take the time to discipline me. Because it's a lot of time to discipline people. Imagine all the problems he's got to deal with. Imagine all the issues in people's lives throughout this world that he's got to deal with. And he loves you enough that he'll discipline you. And he'll discipline me. And yet, we make that a negative. And yet, the world wants to turn away from that word because that's a negative word, discipline. You see, this passage has said that we must also share in his suffering. Let me ask this question. Could that suffering be part of discipline? Could that suffering be a part of our discipline? Sure. I think it could be a big part of it. We'll talk about that a little bit more. But he wants us to understand that discipline is not easy. In fact, it's painful. And he needs us to be prepared for what's coming ahead from a loving father so that when it does come, we don't get knocked off our horse. Let's go back to our text, 5 through 6. Have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to his children when he said, My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline, and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines who, who those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. You see, Paul is not writing this himself. He's actually quoting Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11. It says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. So Paul was actually quoting the Old Testament writer in Proverbs. God's correction and discipline is actually thus probably the biggest proof that he loves you. Discipline is a form of and an action of love. Understand what this means. That if you're going to be a child of God, you are going to go through discipline. We're instructed to expect discipline from God so that when it does come, we don't lose heart. It's actually proof that we are his child and he loves us enough to go through the effort of, of bringing discipline into our lives. So we have to expect it, know what's coming, Appreciate it. You see, if we can understand this very important point, then just maybe we can take a look at some of our life's problems a little bit differently. Because could it be that the problems that you're having could be a form of discipline? Could it be? Or could it be just the fact that you made a bad choice and now you have the consequences of your bad choices? Or could it just be the fact that the rain falls in the just and the unjust? Because we live in a broken world. Yes, it could be any one of those things. And I'm not saying because you go through a hard time that God is angry at you. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that's a discipline necessarily, but it could be. So here's what, my, here's what I'm asking for all of us, to stop and think about it. Look at some of the, life, the problems right now going through my life. And before I get into a pity party and send out invitations to everybody that wants to come and pity with me, maybe I should consider maybe God is using this to get my attention. Maybe there's something happening in my life that God is saying, Mike, I want you to pay attention. I want you to listen up. I've got something very important to share for you, with you. And it's going to change your life. Not just your life here on earth, but it could be an eternity-changing life. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. So dads, we have a responsibility to bring up our children in a godly home. 
And I wish there were more dads here right now, but that's okay. We all have the responsibility to do that. You see, fathers have a lot of power over young children. And unfortunately, many have taken that power over children and abused it. Maybe they've verbally abused their child or physically abused their child or even worst case, maybe even sexually abused their child. See, that's, that's, that's the problem with being a father is that you have great responsibility and you also have great power. Or another form of, of, of abuse would actually be a neglect. Maybe you, you neglected your child and you didn't want to discipline him because he wasn't worth it. Think about it. What is that saying to you? If your dad says, I'm not going to take the time to discipline you, what he's really saying is you're not worthy. You're not worth it to me to discipline because I've got something else I'd rather do. I'd rather go to the golf course or read my paper. And I'm saying this for a reason. I'm not saying this to condemn anybody here because we're probably all past that, most of us here in this room. And if you weren't a good dad, if I wasn't a good dad, and I'll be honest with you, how could I ever be a good dad all the time? I couldn't. I tried my best, but I probably wasn't. But you know what? God can restore that. God is, it's not above God to heal a broken relationship. It's not above, above God to heal relationships between fathers that maybe did abuse children. So I'm giving a hope in this message as well that fathers and children can be restored. But I want you to understand that this is why the enemy, who's the enemy? Who's the enemy? Somebody tell me. Satan. Satan is the enemy. And also your flesh is the enemy. Just so you know that. Because we're born sinful people. So that rising up, that flesh man inside me can be the enemy sometimes, as well as Satan, obviously. But that's why the enemy works so hard in the family to destroy godly relationships between children and their fathers. Because if God can be considered like a human father, and that human father was abusive to that child, then that child will probably grow up with some baggage, thinking that how can I ever relate to a heavenly father when my earthly father abused me? Do you see the lie? Do you see how the devil will use that to keep people from ever appreciating the love of the father because of the abuse of dads and moms, maybe? See, the enemy knows that. A loving earthly father, his discipline is necessary. And the enemy knows how to distort and twist that so that it can make a very difficult time for an adult to appreciate the love of the father because they have mental and physical baggage of abuse. But like I said before, God is not limited by what the enemy uses to destroy. God can take it and he can turn it around for your good. It's proof that love is greater if we allow it in our lives. Now listen, if you've been abused by your dads, you may need to get some help. There's nothing wrong with going to a Christian counselor. There's nothing wrong with talking to a pastor or a Christian friend that you trust. But don't hold it in and don't let the enemy keep you captive there. If there's been abuse, then deal with it. The enemy will keep it. He wants to make it a secret thing, only your problem, because if he can keep it a secret thing, only your problem, he will never let you free of it. You need to forgive. Forgive means release. So that your abusive father in your past or mother, if it was, that they aren't still holding you captive today in your adulthood. So God will forgive. He'll release. And you might need some help with people. So I'm telling you, just, it's okay. It's okay if you need some help. Let's come back to our text. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7 through 8. It says, as you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who was never disciplined by his father, if God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. So again, if, if you've ever doubted your salvation, this is a good opportunity to see God's discipline as proof that he loves you. 
proof that he does care about you. And the enemy is a, a liar, and he will take that as condemnation. And he'll, take it, he'll try to turn that into something that was negative and evil. But don't let that happen, because God disciplines those he loves. And it proves that he loves. I want to reference an Old Testament story that proves God's love and discipline, and it's always good for people. I want to take the time the next the next few minutes. I want to read through chapter. I want to read through Deuteronomy chapter eight. Now Deuteronomy is an Old Testament passage, but recognize what's going on here. God is talking to His Jewish chosen nation, His chosen people, and He's talking to them, working through this issue of love and discipline with the Jewish people. And we can apply this today as well as we work, as we work through this. So let's, let's, let's read through this. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1 through 20, it says this. Be careful to obey all the commands I'm giving you today. Then you will live and multiply, and you will enter and occupy the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors. Now, first of all, God, what's he saying here? God desires godly offspring from them because I want you to multiply. So obey my commands, he says, because I have some things I want to share with you today. And if you do these things, then you will grow up, you will mature, you will be spiritually solid, I'll, you'll be, know that I love you, and I want you to multiply, and I want you to occupy the land that I'm going to give you. Verse 2, remember, remember how the Lord... Your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Now, this again, these are the Israelite people that have been in the desert for 40 years. They, got, they, they were released from Egypt. They were on their way to the promised land, and now they were wandering in the desert for 40 years. A whole other story about why they did, didn't go directly to the promised land, but there was a reason. Part of it was God's testing, God's, God's disciplining process with them, and there's more. But I find it interesting that this last part of this phrase says that he did it, God did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Does that sound familiar? Do you know of anyone else that said that? Didn't Jesus say something similar to that when he was in his 40 days of fasting in the desert? The desert, the, the enemy came to him and tested him, tempted him three different times. One of the times Jesus came back and said, that we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the, from the Father. See, Jesus quoted this passage back to Satan when he was tempted to turn the stones to bread while he was fasting. Do you know that Jesus went through a time of testing? Do you know that Jesus went through a time of testing and discipline? Why? did Jesus have to undergo through such a severe form of discipline and testing by his father? This is Jesus, the son of God, fully man, fully God. Why was he tested? Well, Jesus had to be tested. The, the flesh man of Jesus, the, the, the human part of Jesus had to be tested like we have to be tested to conquer his flesh and so that he would know what it meant to bring it under submission to his heavenly father just like you and I have to do. Jesus proved that God's love comes in the form of discipline in order to strengthen him to stand against what was going to happen to him over the next three years of his life to the point of giving his life on the cross. And he was an example for us to follow that even in our weakest moments, in our most difficult times, that we can trust the Holy Spirit to be there to strengthen us as he was there to strengthen Jesus. So Jesus had to be tested and disciplined just like we are. If the Son of God had, couldn't, had to go through a testing so that he didn't rely on his flesh to live in obedience to God, then so do we. 
(laughs) Don't expect us not to be tested like Christ. If he had to go through it, then why shouldn't you and I have to go through it? Amen? Let's continue on. For all these 40 years, your clothes didn't wear out and your feet didn't blister or swell. Think about it. Just as a parent disciplines a child, the Lord, your God, disciplines you for your own good. This is the key part here. God's discipline is for our own good, and he allows things to happen to our lives, in our lives, so that we can be fashioned after Christ and live and be like Christ was. The Lord your God disciplines you for your own good. So now that we know that, what do we do? Let's continue reading. So obey the commands of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land of flowing streams and pools of water with fountains and springs that gush out of the valleys and hills. It is a land of wheat and barley, of grapevines, fig trees and pomegranates, of oil, olive oil and honey. It is a land where food is plentiful and nothing is lacking. It is a land where iron is as common as stone and copper is abundant in the hills. When you have eaten your fill, be sure to praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Now, we may not appreciate what we just read there because we don't deal with wheat and barley and grapevines and fig trees and pomegranates. But what he's saying is that your life will be good as far as it can be if we're obedient and willing to be disciplined by our Heavenly Father, even in the hard times. But then he says something that's interesting. Verse 11. But that is the time to be careful. Beware that in your plenty you do not forget the Lord your God and disobey his commands, regulations, and decrees that I'm giving you today. (laughs) Listen, he says that three different ways, three different times, that God has some expectations of us. Do not forget the Lord your God and disobey his commands, his regulations, and his decrees. So obviously there's something serious here. Don't take this lightly. God has the right to expect something from your life. And he wants us to do this, not because it's hard for us, but because it's for our good. Let's continue on. For when you have become full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in, and when your flocks and herds have become very large, and your silver and gold have multiplied along with everything else, Be careful. Be careful of what? I've got everything I need. What am I have to be careful over? You see, the life of blessing comes with a warning for a good cause. Why? What do you think? What could be God what what could be what could God be warning us about right now? We'll find out. Let's continue on. Verse 14. Do not become proud at that time and forget the Lord your God who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. Do not forget that he led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its poisonous snakes and scorpions where it was so hot and dry. He gave you water from the rock. He fed you with manna in the wilderness, a food unknown to your ancestors. He did this to humble you and test you for your own good. (laughs) Are you getting it? Are you with me? Verse 17, he did all this so that you would never say to yourself, I have achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. Remember the Lord your God. He is the one who gives you power to be successful in order to fulfill the covenant he confirmed to your ancestors with an oath. Wow. How quickly and and easily can pride set in when things are good? How easily can I take credit for my bank account? How easily can I take credit for my career? How easily can I take credit because I can be a great worship leader, I can be a great pastor, I can be a great businessman, I can be a great coach. How easily can it become about me? Where all I talk about is me and my accomplishments. 
I want to go back and live in the glory days and tell you how good I was. I was a great athlete. I was a great quarterback. I was a great athlete. I mean, do you get tired of hearing that? Do you think God gets tired of hearing that? When it was God that gave you the ability to do it in the first place? (laughs) You couldn't do anything that he didn't give you the power to do. So why are you bragging about it? (laughs) You got to smile, guys. You got to laugh a little bit because I know it's heavy, but it's the reality of life. Verse 19. But I assure you of this. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods, worshiping and bowing down to them, you will certainly be destroyed. That's how serious God is when you take his pride. When you take his glory, understand what you're doing. Wow, this is heavy. Just as the Lord has destroyed other nations in your path, you will also be destroyed if, 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 if you refuse to obey the Lord your God. If you refuse to obey the Lord your God. You don't have to. It's your choice. You can honor him. You can accept his discipline or you can refuse it. And if you refuse it, then you're going to be destroyed. That's what the Bible says. I'm not making this up. But as we've discussed in previous messages, God has the rights to demand things of us. And he has every right to bring blessings into our life as well. He brings the blessings. So my encouragement today is that you accept and not reject the discipline that God brings to us out of his love. Embrace the testing and the discipline of God in your life and seek counsel in what he has for you. Jackie, would you come, please? Remember, God disciplines his children for several reasons. God disciplines his children because he loves them. That's number one. He loves you and he'll discipline you. Number two, God disciplines his children to make them more mature. He wants to make, he wants to, you to grow up, get out of the children phase, and get into the adult phase. God loves his children to increase their capacity to our capacity for virtue. God disciplines his children to keep them on the right path. Run the race marked out for you. Keeping your eyes focused on Jesus. Remember we talked about that previous verses. God disciplines his children to grow their faith to be more like Christ. And God disciplines his children to purify them from sin because only as we're purified from sin can we have relationship with his Father. The result of God's discipline is holiness and maturity. And it's for your good. Amen? James 1 2 through 4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That's the promise of God. That's the word of God. Your decision today is will you receive it or reject it? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this message today we thank you for your promises we thank you for your truth and most importantly Lord we thank you for your love God we thank you that that you love us enough that you bring discipline into our life that some of these things in our life that we thought were so bad and so destructive maybe in the moment they were But the result of that, if we make the right choice to receive that discipline, will be eternal life. What a a change. What, What an exchange. I'll take that trade. God, if you bring something into my life that's difficult now, but through that difficulty, I'm going to live forever with you in heaven, then that's a good trade. And how can I consider that to be negative? How can I be offended by that? So I pray, Father, that you would just open our hearts and our ears and our minds to embrace your discipline as the form and action of love that it is. And I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now listen, we're going to have communion now. And I'm going to invite you to come down to the table and enjoy this very special time where we 
celebrate the Lord's death and resurrection as we're instructed to until he comes. But if this message in any way has raised questions for you, bring them to me or to Pastor Rip or to somebody, but don't let these questions go unanswered. If you're struggling with some things about how could God be using this situation to be disciplining me, how could this be a loving thing that God did to be an act of discipline? Don't let the enemy keep you in secrecy because if you keep it secret, he'll win. Does that make sense? Yeah. Amen. Lead us, Jackie. Pastor Rip, you were so right when you said this is a serious time, but it's not a sad time. Recognize the celebration that this is. Listen, we're coming into the Easter season, right? And we have Good Friday coming up in a week or two, Palm Sunday next Sunday, and Good Friday. And Yeah, that was a serious time for Jesus to come into to Jerusalem that day, that Passover week that was going to be his last week. But recognize, he said, for the joy set before him, what did he do? He endured the cross, scorning its shame, so that he could sit down at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for you and I today. So let's not get bought in. Let's not buy into the sadness of Good Friday. Oh, it's serious, but it's a glorious celebration. There's joy in that day. So I know we have make it a somber time, and that's what I really don't like about it. Quite honestly, I don't like Good Friday services because they make them so sad. It's a joyful time. It's not somber. It's a celebration. Let's celebrate life. Amen. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for what you mean to us. And God, we want to celebrate now in our seriousness. We want to celebrate in the joy of the Lord. And we pray that you would just fill us up with it, I pray. Give us a new hope, a new life, a new look at some of the problems in our life today as godly discipline so we can share in the suffering of Christ so we can become a child and be a child of God. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Have a blessed day today.